was a week of bad news, was it not? You know, that uh, it, you have to be careful how much news you take in nowadays because it can really get you in a rut. And I go through seasons, I feel like, right now, sometimes where I just don't read the news at all or I can't stop reading the news. Uh, but in moderation, that's kind of what I go for now, just news in moderation. But sometimes, no matter how much you try to ignore or numb out to the news, it, you have a week like what we had this week, and you just can't. You just can't block it out because there's so much bad news out there. You just look on a, on a global scale, we get just saturated with war news, constant threats of war, and you got the Ukraine-Russia uh, conflict, it just, it's ongoing, it's, it seemingly has no end. Uh, then you have, it, we had the mass shooting here just in, in our countries and U.S. news, and, and that was just awful news to, to start our week and, and, and coping with that and thinking through that. Then uh, another news article that came out even in the, the U.S. church world in, in, in that news the, the, there was a report done on the Southern Baptist Convention, the largest Christian denomination on the, on the planet. And sexual abuse, well, they, they, they were caught. A report came out through a third party. They were, the leadership in that denomination has been caught uh, covering up uh, sexual abuse for, for years. It just came out in a report, and, and just, that's, that's just the truth that came out. Just totally depressing, right? And then even in our local news, in Marietta, we had a homicide uh, come out in the news with a sword. I mean, you just think like just the, the evil and just the horror, it just seems like it was all over the place from global news to country news to church news to local news. It was just bad, 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 bad. You know, you, you try to focus on the good, you try to do good, and you try to think the best of people, and then... There's just weeks like this where your hands are just kind of up in the air like, man, is there any end to this madness? Is there any end to this evil? Is, is there any help or hope for mankind? You know, then you, you, you try to be optimistic, right? You think, oh, well, you're just focusing too much on the bad. You try to be optimistic, and you put your head in the sand, and then you have a terrible week like this week. And, and, and we always have the same response after we've kind of put our head in the sand. Oh, man, I can't believe that happened. I can't believe that, even though it happens all the time, right? Because bad news happens all the time. When you stick your head in the sand for a while, you think, oh, I can't believe that happened. I, I can't believe they did that. I didn't know someone could be capable of that. What, what, what's going on? How do we stop this? You know, and, I, and I, then on top of watching bad news, this is, maybe this is why I'm a pessimistic person sometimes. <laughs> I'm, I'm a documentary junkie and crime documentaries. Man, I'm just a sucker for them. I just, I, I like, I can't. I, I, I always watch this, going to bed, Amanda's asleep, I, I flip on a crime documentary, and that's just kind of how I end my day a lot of times. But it's the same story over and over and over again. People can't believe someone that they know would murder someone. You know, they, they, they just can't believe that they would miss something like that, but that's how killers go undetected for as long as they do, because you don't want to think that your coworker or a family member or uh, you know, your neighbor could ever kill someone. And so when it happens, it's the same story over every time you, in the documentary, the person closest to the killer is interviewed and they're like, man, I just never thought in a million years that would take place. I never thought that could happen. Well, of course, of course you didn't, right? I mean, if you thought it could happen, you would have done something about it. So, you know, af after a bunch of bad things happen like that and you're confronted with a dark reality or dark realities like we were this week, there's, there develops a, a sense of urgency to do something about it, right? 
When you're confronted with so much evil, what are we going to do about it? We want to we stop it. We want to prevent it from happening. And so we talk about laws that we need to change or rules that we need to implement or reform that needs to happen. And this is not a political statement uh, by any stretch of the imagination. This is just how stuff flushes out historically, right? This, it's the way it always happens. Bad things happen. That's why we talk about rules and, and laws and things like that. But what do we find time and time again? We find in history that we can educate culture and it still can't stop all the bad. We find that we can reform and it still doesn't stop all the bad. We find that we can change culture, we can start revolutions, we can change laws. And as needed and as helpful and as necessary as those things are, we keep seeing the same evil in the world over and over and over again. It never seems to be enough. We just can't stop it. Why is there still bad? Even though we have all these rules and laws in place, why is there still bad? Well, the Bible te teaches us why the world is still bad. The, the Bible sets out to answer that exact question. You know, in short, the world's messed up because we're here. We're what's wrong with the world. What, what, the problem with the world is at the core of who we are. That's the teaching of the Bible and what's being done about it ultimately is the gospel. This is the teaching of the Bible. It teaches us that here's what's being done about what's wrong with the world. God has the fix. God is redeeming us. So the passage we talked about last week and what we're going to talk about this week helps bring some clarity to that problem. It helps to bring some very di direct teaching as to what is wrong with us and what is wrong with this world, the problem. And I really think this is one of those fundamental truths that we're learning today. This is why I, I stopped short of getting to this point in Mark last week on purpose, just so we could take a whole Sunday to talk about just this teaching that Jesus has for these Pharisees. Because this fundamental truth really is kind of a make-or-break truth for us to understand the gospel. If you don't get this part right, you're never going to understand the gospel. If you don't get the bad news correct, you will not get the good news correct. You have to understand the bad news in order to appreciate and know the good news. So last week, here's the moment we're at in Mark. We're in Mark 7. And in, in this moment in Scripture, the Pharisees have confronted Jesus and his disciples. And here's how they confronted them. They came to them and they were criticizing Jesus and his disciples at, when it comes to, to being ceremonially clean. Here's how they caught him. Jesus and his disciples were, were traveling to and fro doing ministry. They were healing and preaching. They just stopped to grab a bite to eat really quick and they didn't wash their hands before they ate. Just like you and I, when we're on the run, don't always wash our hands before we eat. Well, for us, it's a hygiene thing. For them, it's a ceremonial, ceremonial thing. Jews washed their hands before they ate because this was a rule the Pharisees over time had imp imposed on the Jewish people above and, ab above and beyond what the law says is to be done before you eat. And so this is their oral tradition that they had imposed on the Jewish people over time. And so these scribes and Pharisees would travel around to see if you followed not only the law of God, but to see if you followed all the oral tradition of the elders, the commandments of men that were put in place on top of Scripture, like washing your hands before you ate. And so they came to Jesus, and they noticed that 
They didn't wash their hands. And so they say, hey, why do you guys not wash your hands? How come you don't, you're, you're, you're a rabbi, these are your students, you're preaching this gospel and you're, you're saying everything you're doing is good, but here, you're doing something bad. You're not following our rules. So this is when the, this conflict, this is how this conflict busts out. And Jesus is about to turn everything that they think they know upside down. And it's a lesson that you and I, again, need to know if we are going to understand the gospel. You get this truth wrong, you're going to get the gospel wrong. This is a fundamental truth. This, this should be unanimously accepted amongst all Christians, regardless of what's on the sign out in front of the church. Jesus is teaching them that the ultimate problem that causes our defilement is not outside of us. It's on the inside of us. We can't appreciate how disorienting that truth must have been, even though it should have been known by them because the truth that were, as we'll see in Scripture, it was in the Old Testament and the New Testament. But they got so caught up in their rules that when they hear Jesus teach this, and we're going to study it verse by verse here in a second, it just, it, it just rocks their world. It just must have been so incredibly hard to accept there in that moment. And they literally were starting to plot to kill Jesus because of moments just like this, in which he flips everything they think they know on, on its head. And so, again, an incredibly fundamental truth that we're learning today, but just heavy, heavy teaching by Jesus. So we're going to pick up in verse 14. We're just going to look at verses 14 through 23 today. We'll get started with verses 14 and 15. This is Jesus teaching, here's what actually defiles a person. They're worried about defilement. You're worried about being unclean before God. Let me tell you exactly what makes you unclean before God. This is what Jesus is teaching them. Verse 14 and 15. And he called the people to him again and said to them, Hear me, all of you, and understand. There is nothing outside a person that by going into him can defile him. But the things that come out of a person are what defile him. Hear me and understand. Listen up. Everybody stop what you're doing. Put your pins down. Everybody listen to what I'm teaching you. This, this, that's kind of the approach Jesus is taking with this group of people. The crowds, listen up. Pharisees, scribes, listen up. Disciples, listen up. I'm going to teach you something you need to know. You want to talk about defilement? You want to talk about being unclean before God? Listen to this. Nothing outside of you is what defiles you. Nothing that takes place out here is ultimately what defiles you before God. It's something that comes from inside of you. Just think about that teaching. You think about all the, the religious ceremonies, the, the dietary laws, the the, the, the religious ceremonial practices that they went through, all of the great lengths that they went through to worship in order to draw near to God. If you did this, it was considered righteous and holy. If you did not do this, you were defiled and unclean. And Jesus just takes all of that and says, hey, this is all a shadow, right? This isn't ultimately what defiles us before God. What defiles you before God is on the inside. Not on the outside. I mean, this would have blew their minds. It would have been just so hard to hear. That means all of the legalism that they were trying to impose on themselves and on others, it ultimately didn't play a part 
and defilement before God. Think about, the, think about that. It ultimately plays no part in your defilement before God. And then did you see what he said in verse 16? Read verse 16. Look at verse 16. I'm playing a joke on you. It's not there. <laughs> verse 16 is not there. Oh, some of you were panicking just then. You were like, what? where's 16? Uh, it, this happens from time to time in Scripture. So, you know, the, the, the chapter divisions and the verse divisions, those, aren't, uh, those weren't put there by the Holy Spirit. Uh, they were put there by people over time, Christians, so we can find stuff and reference stuff. Well, verse 16, uh, it just says, if anyone has ears to hear, let, him, let them hear. Now, that's a really common phrase in Scripture. That's a really common thing for Jesus to say. And he may have said it there, but here's what happens. Over time, as we find earlier and earlier manuscripts of Scripture, we want to have in our hands exactly what they read in the first century. And so whenever we find first century documents and they don't match up, we do one of two things. We either put brackets on it. So sometimes when you're reading in the New Testament and you find brackets around a section, sometimes a whole paragraph or just a verse, those brackets mean they're not in the earliest manuscripts. And so that may or may not have been there. When it's gone entirely, it's that there's a general consensus among translators that this is not in any of the earliest manuscripts, and so it's, we, we just need to take it out because it wasn't there. Uh, so that's why verse 16 uh, isn't there, or maybe in some of your Bibles it's, it's bracketed. But let's pick up then at verse 17. And when he had entered the house and left the people, his disciples asked him about the parable and said to them, uh, or, well, before we get to 18 there, this is, the, this is when the disciples had a moment with Jesus. They're like, hey, whenever, whenever we get alone, or now that, now that we are alone, can you, can you tell us what you meant by that? Are you, are you serious? Nothing outside of us defiles us. It's what comes from inside of us. Could you elaborate on that? I, I love to speculate these moments. These are just moments that I think about as I'm reading through Scripture. Like, how did those moments play out? Were, you know, were the disciples, I just imagine when the disciples were with Jesus and his teaching, they're very agreeable. They're, yeah, that's that, beautiful. Yeah, did you hear what he said? And they're relaying the message to help everyone understand what Jesus is teaching. And then when they get him a, alone, they, they take him aside. They're at home later, and they're like, uh, did you mean to say that? Is that really what you meant? Even the disciples, this this tips us off that even the disciples are finding this hard to swallow. Like, really, nothing outside of us defiles us before God? We've, we're Jews. We got rules, man. God has given us his law. We got oral tradition on top of that. We've spent our entire lives desiring to be clean before God. And you're telling us nothing outside of us defiles us? He said it so clearly. Are you serious, Jesus? Verse 18 through 20. And he said to them, Then are you also without understanding? Do you not see that whatever goes into a person cannot, or from, I'm sorry, let me, do you not see that whatever goes into a person from outside cannot defile him, since it, it enters not his heart, but his stomach, and it is expelled? Thus he declared all foods clean. And he said, What comes out of a person? is what defiles him. Okay, so he has an illustration to make his point to the disciples. And so 
uh, it's basically summarized as this. No matter what you eat, no matter what it is, when it, when it goes into your body, it's not going to the heart, right? It's going to your stomach. And, and then when it comes out of you, that's, that's what's unclean, right? This is, he's, he's talking about number two, folks. It's what comes out of you. That's, that's when things are dirty. What comes out of you is unclean. Now, translators are trying to be unnecessarily appropriate here. I like, they, like, they don't want pastors to have to talk about pooping from the pulpit, so, um, but I will. <laughs> because Jesus does. And if it's, you know what, if that crappy illustration is good enough for Jesus, it's good enough for me. All right? Oh! Ooh! <laughs> Had to get one in. Now, the actual Greek there, whenever you look at the actual Greek, it says it, says it passes through your stomach to the place where you sit. <laughs> it's, that's actually what it would say in our language if, if they were going really literal. It passes through your stomach to the place where you sit. Uh, so, yeah, he's definitely talking about what we think he's talking about. Oh, and by the way, he declared all foods clean. Did you notice that in parentheses there? He declared all foods clean. Mark doesn't want us to miss that. Peter, who's telling Mark what to write down, Peter doesn't want us to miss that. Verse 19 is a great verse to memorize because from time to time, what you'll find in Christianity is that people will read the Old Testament and they'll study the dietary laws and they'll forget about this verse in chapter 7 of Mark as well as many other places in the New Testament where um, all foods are declared clean. Uh, and, and they'll try to reinforce Old Testament dietary laws on Christians. And you'll see pastors do this. You'll, you'll, I've had Christians, even locally, come up and, and try to explain to me how we can't, uh, we should not be eating pork, we should not be eating shrimp and stuff like that. But uh, no, he, he declared all foods clean. I was just like, what do you do about this verse? <laughs> it's, a, it's pretty clear. It's pretty cut and dry. You know, don't, do, don't be a jerk to him, though. Just invite him over. Fire up the grill, wrap some shrimp and bacon, put it on the grill, don't tell them that, and then show them the verse, and then be like, eh? <laughs> Nobody's going to turn that down. Everybody's going to be excited about that. So Jesus is using gross imagery here. This is gross. He's trying to teach a deeper reality so that we, know, so, so, so we aren't too focused on the surface. He's taking this to a deeper reality so that we can truly know the heart of the problem, which is the heart. And this is not new news. This is always what God's word has taught. Remember in his interaction with the Pharisees in the previous paragraph, he quotes Isaiah. And he, and he says, this people honors me with their lips. He's, he's saying to these Pharisees, you're like what Isaiah prophesied about in the Old Testament 800 years ago. He said, this people honors me with their lips. They follow me with all the rules and they do all their things, but their hearts are far from me. That's the problem. This is not a new teaching. This is what our word teaches us. Jeremiah 17, 9 through 10, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can understand it? I, the Lord, search the heart and test the mind. It's always been a heart issue. God is after the heart. And so he understands our hearts better than we understand 
our hearts, and so he's honest with us about our hearts. He says through his word, I understand your motives, I understand your intent, I understand your desires, I know exactly what you're thinking, I know why you do what you do, I know everything about you, and you have a problem. It's your heart. The heart is desperately, desperately wicked. And when it comes to legalism, here's the problem. People have taken God's law, they, and we do the same thing with the New Testament. We take the gospel, and we create all of these new rules and all of these uh, you know, ways of worship, and we try to impose them and get overly strict about them with people in our lives and with ourselves. But here's the thing. God wants us to know you can implement all the rules and all the restrictions you want, you're not going to fool me. I know your heart. All the rules in the world won't fix your heart problem. They expose your heart problem. And so, you know, this is why Jesus would teach to the Pharisees, you know, you do a good job with your, with your rules fooling people, but you don't fool God. What does he say in Matthew 23? He, tell, he tells the Pharisees there, on the outside, you appear to people as righteous, but really you are full of hypocrisy and wickedness. Do you remember what he calls them at that point? You're like whitewashed tombs. That's what he calls the Pharisees. You, you think you can fool God, but you can't. You fool people, but you can't fool him. You're like whitewashed tombs. You're beautiful on the outside, but there's death and decay on the inside. You are dead inside. But, I, you know, I think it's even worse, though, when we get caught up in our and what's happening outside of us and the rules and, and the restrictions and things like that, when we, it, it's really bad when we fool ourselves. I think that's a, it, it's one thing to th even think we can fool God is foolish, but when we fool ourselves, that's, the real, that's, that's a big tragedy. And, and so Jesus had a parable for that. You remember in Luke 18 when he talks about the parable of the Pharisee and the tax collector and how they both go into the temple to pray and the Pharisee's like, oh, thank you, God. I thank you that I'm not like other people. I'm not like the cheaters. I'm not like the sinners. I'm not like the adulterers. I'm not like that tax collector right there. Man, I tithe. I, I fast. I do all the right things. I follow all the rules. I'm so glad I'm not like them. And then we're, we're given what happens in the mind of the tax collector. The tax collector comes to the temple and he falls down. He won't even look up to God. He won't even look up to him. He's so full of guilt, and he says, oh, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And Jesus taught that parable to say, the tax collector is the one who's justified before God. The truth about us is meant to humble us. So Jesus is, is, is teaching that these disciples something so shocking. Oh, are you shocked that we're not following all of your rules? Let me tell you something that's going to blow your mind. Your heart will appall you. Let me tell you about what's going inside your heart. That's, that's the issue here when it comes to defilement. Look at verses 20 through 23. And he said to them, what comes out of a person is what defiles him, for, with, for from within, out of the heart of man, come evil thoughts, sexual immorality, theft, murder, adultery, coveting, wickedness, deceit, sensuality, envy, slander, pride, foolishness. 
All these things come from within, and they defile a person. All that's in here. Evil thoughts, I think that's first for a reason. That's kind of the overarching reason of all of these things. You know, you think of all of the evil thoughts that go on in your brain. <laughs> all of us know that, like, if everyone could see in our heads and know everything we're thinking all the time, we wouldn't have any friends, right? Would we? You know what's going on in here? It's dark in here. If everybody knew what I was thinking all the time, you would not come to my church. <laughs> there's wickedness. There's evil thoughts in there. There's something wrong with me. The, he, the list goes on. It, amongst all of these evil thoughts, we have sexual immorality. We know that Greek word. It's porneia. It's where we get our word for porn. It's any sex outside of the, a covenant marriage between a man and a woman. That's, that's, that's what the Bible is talking about when it uses this word porneia. That's translated sexual immorality. And Jesus talked about it over and over and over. It's one of, the, one of the most common things he condemns is sexual immorality. The next four are the ten, come from the Ten Commandments. You got theft. We know that Greek word, kleptia like a kleptomaniac. We got murder, adultery, sex outside of the, a covenant marriage, coveting, wanting something other people have, wickedness. Now the Greek word there talks about a, a heart that's, in, that's equipped to inflict evil on others. That's part of what's wrong with this world. Your heart is equipped to inflict evil on people around you. Deceit, you know, to, to bait people, to lie or to trick them. Sensuality, that's talking about just, the, just, open, just openly perverting things, calling what is bad good, calling what is good bad. Envy, we know, we know that, we're familiar with that Greek word, ophthalmos, that's where we get ophthalmology, that evil eye. Looking at things and looking at others with an evil eye. An evil intent. Slander, we know that Greek word, blasphemy, is basically what it is. It's, it's translated slander because it's not just talking about blasphemy against God, but also but slandering others in addition to God. Pride, that self-praise, man. There's, there's us guys, we can all relate to this sin. Pride. We're always quick for self-praise. We, we'll, we'll, we'll hold everybody in the world contempt before we hold ourselves in contempt, right? It's pride. Where does all this come from? Where does all this evil come from in the world? Where, where does this, this list of evil things, what's the source of it all? Jesus tells us very clearly, it's your heart. That's what the Bible teaches it's your heart. That's where it all comes from. You're looking around the world trying to figure out where all the evil's coming from. It's you. It's me. The e at the core of our being, it's who we are. It's evil. It comes out of us. Jesus is saying, you want to talk about what defiles you before God? Take a look at your heart. You want to have a conversation about uncleanness? Let's talk about your heart. It is at the core of who we are. 
And so this is how the Bible equips us to think about ourselves. And so it's a humbling experience to read through Scripture and to be told over and over again, you're evil. You have an evil problem. It's you. You look around the world and you complain all the time, but it's you. It's coming from inside you. This is how the the gospel is explained to us in the New Testament. You look at Romans 3, and this is is Paul quoting, actually, the book of Psalms. He, He says, none is righteous. No, not one. No one understands. No one seeks for God. All have turned aside. Together they have become worthless. No one does good, not even one. Their throat is an open grave. They use their tongues to deceive. The venom of asps is under their lips. Their mouth is full of curses and bitterness. Their feet are swift to shed blood. And their paths are ruin and misery. And the way of peace they have not known. There is no fear of God before their eyes. This is where he goes on to say, For all have, uh, have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. He's, he's throwing us all under the bus. You want to understand the gospel? You want to understand the good news? You got to... We've got to all see that we're all thrown under the bus here. We're all evil. Even Paul himself in chapter 7 of Romans, wretched man am I who will deliver me from this body of death. He's not just pointing the finger at everybody else. He's like, what's, what's going to deliver me from this? The problem is in here. What can fix this? What can deliver me from this problem that is inside of me? How can this heart be fixed? What can I do? Remember whenever we're faced with a dark reality, that's when we develop the sense of urgency to find the fix. We've got to change something. We've got to implement new laws. We've got we to make new rules. I've got to make sure I do good and not bad. I've got to do everything I can for this fix. But the Bible says you can't fix it. You can't do it. That's what the Bible teaches. You're the problem and you can't fix it. So how can I be a part of the kingdom of God? If at the core of my being I am evil, what am I supposed to do? Is there any hope for me? Someone posed that question to Jesus in in John 3.30. He answered it like this. I'm sorry, it's in John chapter 3. It's not verse 30. He says, truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. You've been born of the flesh, he says. You've been born of the flesh. At the core of your being is evil. It's sin in there. You're going to sin. All of these evil things are going to come out of you. Nothing that comes into you is going to defile you. It's going to come out of you, though, because it's from in here. If you want to be a part of the kingdom of heaven, there has to be a new birth. You have to be given a new heart. There has to be a regeneration, a new, new life, not of the flesh, but of the spirit. You need to be given a new heart in new life. You need to be born again so that you can be given a heart that at its core is righteousness and goodness. It's like what Ezekiel prophesied in chapter 36. And I will give you a new heart and a new spirit I will put within you and I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh and give you a heart of flesh. I want to give you a new heart, God says. So when we're talking... This is so important to understand when we want to think about the gospel, if we want to be the church. We're talking about salvation, which we better be talking about, because that's what the Bible talks about. We're talking about being a part of the kingdom of God. We are not saying, hey, look, we were bad, but now we're really good, and now we try really hard, so therefore God loves us, let's all do church. That's not what we're saying at all. 
What we learn in the gospel is we're, we're taught to think differently. We're talking about how God loves us even though we are bad. Despite the fact that we're bad, he loves us. Despite that we cause evil in the world and we're, we're part of the problem that makes this world dark, he loves us anyway. He sent his son to die for us, to pay for that sin. He sent his son to, to live for us, to be good enough, because we can't. And he sent his Holy Spirit to give us a new heart so that we can have new life. I'm just stealing Paul's sermon. Here's what he says in Titus 3, verse, starting at verse 3. For we ourselves were once foolish, disobedient, led astray, slaves to various passions and pleasures, passing our days in malice and envy, hated by others and hating one another. But when the goodness and loving kindness of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of works done by us in righteousness, but according to his own mercy, by the washing of regeneration and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us richly through Jesus Christ our Savior. So the Bible over and over and over and over and over and over and over again tells us we have not cleaned ourselves up enough to be loved by God. We have not done enough to be loved by God. We are not loved by God because we're better than the people down the street. We are not loved by God because we worship better, because we do church better, because we dress better, because we think better. We're loved by God because of grace alone. It's only by his grace that we're given this new heart. And so on this side of heaven, here we are in the flesh, evil at the core of our being, but by grace we've been given a new heart. And so we're in this conflict. We've not been perfected yet. When, we're, when we say we've been saved, when we say we've been born again, and there's only one type of Christian, there's not, Christ, there's not born again Christians. All Christians, genuinely Christian, are Christian because they've been born again. But we're not, we're not saying, oh, I got a new heart now. Now I only do good. Because if that was the case, uh, we'd be like, oh, wow, that's not my experience, man. No, we're, we're, we're not perfected yet. We're told in Scripture that we're, we're being changed and redeemed from one degree of glory to the next as we work alongside the Holy Spirit as he works on us. Now that we are justified entirely before God. That's because of Jesus Christ. I am seen as clean before God because of Jesus. I'm loved by God because of Jesus. But on this side of heaven, I'm still this work in progress, changing from one degree to the next. And at the ultimate conclusion of this work in progress, all things will be made new, including me, including you. What an amazing hope that we get to live with. What an amazing hope that we have through the gospel that when we see all this evil in the world, when we're just saturated and the bad news just dogpiles us in so many different ways, all of that evil has an expiration date. That's, that's a belief that we have as Christians. All of that evil has an expiration date. It will end. Jesus will make all things new. And part of, of keeping it good forever at that point is making us completely new too. If we get on the other side of eternity and I'm still in this in-between and I've not been perfected yet, right? I will ruin 
that side. I'll take the sin that still exists in me with me. But what we're told is we will all be made new. There will be a, a resurrection. We will all be made new. And we will be entirely cleansed from all of this sin permanently. We won't have the ability to sin. And so it's not just that the evil in this world has an expiration date. It's that the evil that is at the core of my being has an expiration date. What a relief. Isn't it exhausting fighting the evil in your mind and in your heart? You know, you go through seasons in which you're, you're doing this Christian thing really well. You're feeling pretty righteous. You've been on a, a, a clean streak. And then you get in a rut. And then you backslide. And you're ashamed of yourself. You feel guilty. You're not living your life the way you're supposed to live. You feel convicted of it. All of that's going to have an expiration date. There will be a point in time in which we always get it right. God has promised us this through the gospel. And so we are saved and we are justified before God entirely right now. But we're a work in progress. And so, yes, am I, am I evil at the core of my being? Yes. But I've been given a new heart. And I'm righteous at the core of my being right now, too. I am completely clean before God because of the heart I've been given through Christ. He sent his Holy Spirit to give me a new heart, and I am seen as clean before God. And I get to live with the heart of gratitude towards this, and we go into communion to remember this, to give us hope, to strengthen us, to pull us up out of the mud, realize, yes, I am seen as clean before God, so yes, this life is worth living in a way that pursues righteousness, and it's, it's worth living in a way that puts sin to death. So I, it's worth the battle. It strengthens us. It causes us to persevere in our faith. And when we're tempted to let go, it holds on to us. It's not about our grip on these truths. God has a grip on us and will not let us go. Let's go into communion today thinking about that hope, the hope that we have and the salvation that we have through Christ. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your gospel that changes how we think about things. Lord, when we talk about these Pharisees, the truth of the matter is we can relate to them. If we're being really honest, Lord, we, we too think that when we do good things, we're clean before you because of those good things that we do. When we live a life and don't steal anything or don't murder anybody this week and, and we think, Lord, I, I've done so many good things, so you must really love me this week. Thank you for correcting that false religion that is naturally inside our brains. That's a false gospel. Thank you for correcting that, Lord. You teach us that we are loved because of you. We are saved because of you. Lord, thank you for giving us a new heart, Lord, that we can pursue righteousness in a way that isn't about us, but we can pursue righteousness in a way that's about you. Righteous that will bring, righteousness that will bring you glory and, and not us. It's about your glory alone. Help us to have these thoughts in our minds and meditate upon these truths as we take communion together this morning. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen.